Pastor Josh and I and our wives went to Idaho this last week to visit our sister church, 26-8. Pastor Dave and Pastor Brian, we had a great time. Uh, just a real blessing out there. We do that once a year. We connect with them and uh, do some apostolic planning with them. And uh, it was just really a, a, an amazing time. And so I really had a great week. Now, what made my week extra special was I asked Elder Randy to take the teaching time so that I'd have to spend time preparing during the week when I was out in Idaho. So all the weight was on him. So he's been able to do that and uh, carry that um, uh, blessing. And he's going to be bringing the message to us today. But I just want to encourage you with this idea that the Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. We have a great future because of who the Lord is and what he's doing in and through us. And so I'm excited about that. Um, so I'm also excited. I've been praying for Elder Randy this week. I know that uh, he carries a full-time job that's actually more than a full-time job. And then he also is preparing for this uh, teaching today. So I know that, that this was probably not quite as restful as my week. But nonetheless, I'm excited. I've been uh, just anticipating the word of the Lord uh, coming to us today through our elder, Randy. Randy, come on up. Thank you. Um, just a real quick comment coming off the prophetic word that uh, Pastor Mark read um, is a verse that I've been impressed with over and over in the last several months. And it's uh, the latter portion of Second um, Peter where it talks about the, we have the prophetic word. Um, and it, the context is the morning star. And the morning star is a, is a star that comes up about two hours before sunrise. So if you're in the midst of a dark night, a cold night, and then you see the morning star rise, it's telling you that within about two hours, the sun's going to come up. And so, um, and it's thought that the morning star is probably Venus or um, Mars, most likely Venus. But I say that to say this, um, the prophetic word may be fulfilled in a dark time. And... Um, but don't lose heart that it's going to be fulfilled or that it is being fulfilled because what it means is if it's dark when it comes, then light is right around the corner. And uh, so hang on to that word. And uh, there's a context here uh, to that word, the context to the Torah portion and uh, this message. And that context is uh, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, the County of the Omer, and then Pentecost. And so we're in a real special season. It can be a season where we do some searching and, um, um, and get new clarity and issues uh, to kind of propel us forward into this new biblical year. And um, the, uh, I think the Torah portion uh, feeds into that. And uh, one of the blessings, this is not the only blessing, but one of the blessings of subbing for Pastor Mark is I don't have to watch the clock when I'm doing the Torah portion highlight because if I go over, I'm just robbing myself. And so I may just really lollygag through this uh, just to enjoy the moment. Um, as he mentioned, this is a double portion. And uh, I think we mentioned last week that um, Leviticus um, 17 through 26 is called the Holiness Code. So we started the Holiness Code this week. Uh, and, and with a central theme of holiness, as you might guess. Um, 
And Leviticus 19, where Megan read those first 18 verses, it was not only 18 verses, but it was 18 packed verses. And this Leviticus 19 is considered a, a very critical section uh, in the Torah revelation um, because it holds so many teachings. In fact, there's a liter literary connection between uh, Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are, ex uh, Leviticus 19, where Megan read, and Ezekiel 22, which is a prophetic word of, con of uh, um, what, uh, correction for Israel. Uh, and so they all tie together. Uh, the first verse that Megan read spoke to, indicated, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel. Uh, throughout Le uh, Leviticus, th this saying is generally introducing a new section. It introduced um, the purity code. It introduced the Levitical law, the laws of uh, diet, dietary laws, and it uh, is introducing this section. Uh, it's also introduced sections on sexual morality, immorality. Um, uh, they believe, the, the sages believe that most of the teachings of the Ten Commandments could be found in Leviticus 19. Um, if you look at uh, verse 3, it uh, has to do with reverence for parents, and there you've got honoring your parent, uh, the uh, Ten Commandments, verse 5. Shabbat uh, is also in verse 3 in the passage Megan read, and the Shabbat is the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. Uh, stealing and deceitful conduct is uh, noted several times throughout this chapter, and it's the Eighth Commandment. Um, false, oaths, false oaths were noted uh, in a verse in Leviticus 19, and that's the third commandment. Uh, the I am the Lord, uh, your Redeemer, was the first uh, commandment and listed in this passage. Uh, one of the literary connections is when the prophet Ezekiel was correcting a falling Israel, he said this in Ezekiel 22, Behold, the princes of Israel in you, every one of you, according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Shabbats. There are men in you who slander to shed blood. And people in you who eat on, um, on the mountains, they commit lewdness in your midst. In you men uncover their father's nakedness. In you they violate women who are unclean in their menstrual impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife, and another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. Another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But, but me you have forgotten, declares the Lord. That's Ezekiel 22. And most of everything in this prophetic correction of Israel is in Leviticus 19. And so this is really a, a key uh, passage, and again, there's a literary uh, connection here between Leviticus 19, Ezekiel 22, and Exodus 20. One of the things that stands out in this portion of the portion is that the, um, it kind of emphasizes the collective duty of Israel, um, and uh, this is because, remember when God uh, told Moses, he kind of cast the vision for Moses in Exodus 19, and Pastor Mark commented on this once or twice already in this message that Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what we see in Leviticus 19 is a collective uh, responsibility and what that looks like. What's it look like to be a holy nation and a, uh, and a kingdom of priests? Um, holiness, again, is just uh, that which is different from the profane or ordinary. Um, what Leviticus 19 does and the Holiness Code is 
that it um, interconnects proper social behavior and meaningful religious life. So what it does is spirituality and social experiences are connected. They were never meant to be separate. Um, the chapter commands observers of the Shabbat, respect for elders. Con it con this is kind of interesting. It condemns idolatry, but exhorts us to be kind to those who are practicing idolatry. Uh, there are a number of milestones in, in the portion of the portion, and we're um, going to look at them real quickly, and, um, but they're very, they're very key. Starting in, in this portion of the portion, there are instructions for how Israel was to um, uh, reap their fields. And you see this happening in Ruth, too, when Ruth asked permission of Boaz to glean the, his fields after the reapers had gone through. And she did that and got food for her and for Naomi. And that was the, the way that that was supposed to be done. The fact that this verse, this set of verses was observed enabled Ruth and Naomi to have something to eat. Um, so the, uh, the poor and the sojourner, sojourners usually had no land rights. And in many cultures, they, they would just suffer. But uh, Leviticus 19 and other portions of the Torah provide for them. Uh, the passage deals with dealing falsely. Um, it's interesting that the passage teaches that not only is the thief guilty of sin, but if you buy stolen goods from the thief, you are guilty of sin. Uh, and so uh, it considers that collaborating with the thief. Um, the, the, uh, now, we've talked about the economically disadvantaged. Now we look at the fiscally disadvantaged, the blind and the lame. There's a provision for them, wherein is, whereas in most um, cultures of the time, they, all they could look to was poverty. That, that's what their future held. Um, but that, this uh, admonition to uh, the care for the, the blind and the lame is connected to you shall fear your God. Now, this is... Um, seems to be appropriate because what this does is it deals with offenses that cannot be detected and therefore are easily concealed. And so what the, this uh, portion of the portion is saying is, uh, uh, God speaking is, I, if you violate the poor and the lame, the economically disadvantaged, and no one sees it but me, I will punish you for it because I'm going to hold you accountable for how you treat the poor. So that's included in here was, was the fear of God. Um, justice, I think, um, Pastor Mark, I think you mentioned this in the prophetic word, if I'm not correct, incorrect, but uh, um, justice is defined kind of going through the back door. Injustice was defined as showing partiality to the poor or deferring to the great. And so we can kind of flip that and come up with what justice is. It's, it's the same for the poor. It's the same for the, for the great. The economy makes no difference. Um, profaning the name of God is commented on in this passage. Um, this parallels the third commandment um, and is connected to what eventually became known as uh, the desecration of God's name. And it's actually, I was raised thinking this was just the GD word, but actually what it is is lying, deception. It's, it came to be understood as uh, any act which brought dishonor on God's people or upon his Torah. So it's not just a profane word. It's, it's an, their actions which um, uh, in some way uh, cause dishonor of God or dishonor of the Torah. Um, if you don't pay 
your employees their laborers, you're considered a thief. That's considered stealing. Uh, so what we have over and over is that uh, holiness is expressed through economic and social terms. So it's not limited to sexuality. It's not limited to quote-unquote religious life. There's no distinction that the scriptures teach here. Um, moving on th uh, and finishing the portion of the portion, um, Israel was admonished never just to do business in the, uh, uh, when they're dealing with their fellow Israelites. So it's not like, okay, here for a few minutes, we're going to just get down to business. It was, the business was always in the context of kindness and looking out for your brother. Um, it's interesting, too, that slander and gossip, I thought this was very interesting. If you stood by and listened to gossip or slander, it was considered the same as standing by and watching your brother get beat up by somebody and not lifting a hand. Um, in this passage, there is a civic responsibility, the importance of not keeping an offense alive through repeating it. Um, interesting here, too, is that Yeshua kind of buried in all these verses was what he identified as the second greatest commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Had I read this passage without having known that, I'm not so sure I would have recognized that as the second greatest commandment. So as I mentioned earlier, there's no surprise that this Torah portion kind of uh, connects with the message and with the times. Um, Pastor Mark last week mentioned in the closing this message, he, we were encouraged to pray, God, show me the cages uh, that I'm in, uh, to ask, what virtue do you want me to grow in? And what ways do our characters need to be reformed in order to change our ways, to more conform to his ways? Um, so with these questions in mind, we're going to kind of uh, go forward uh, from that message uh, and take what I think may be the next step. And this has to do with the, the idea of calling I think this came out in our worship time, too. Uh, I think there's oftentimes a misconception of what calling is. We, we tend to interchange it with our vocation. Uh, and we're going to look at that today because uh, the calling uh, is not the same as our vocation. It's not necessarily where we get our paycheck signed. Uh, and uh, so we'll look at that. Um, and basically what we're going to do today is look, okay, we're going to look at two aspects of calling. Uh, one is we're called to him, and the second is we're called to his people. Uh, and that is the calling that we're going to look at in these days that we live in. Uh, in Ephesians 4, um, Paul said, urged the church at Ephesus to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In 1 Peter 2, uh, Peter taught this. He said, you have, for this purpose you have been called. In 2 Peter 1, uh, it's, it's Peter twice said, uh, through the knowledge of him who called us. And then later, after a list of um, verses, he said, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. So it's helpful to know what cages we're called out of. But we're going to kind of focus today on what we're called to more than what we're called from. The... Um, Again, we, if there's any misunderstanding, I hope that we can clarify it. Uh, and, um, the, uh, and this is important because if we have a, a, a false or a mistaken idea of calling, then we're probably going to be at risk for developing a false identity 
connected to that understanding of calling. Uh, and um, for many today, I think this will be a reminder. I'm going to kind of lean on Peter's example. He said, I don't feel bad about reminding you. In fact, I'm, I'm going to be diligent to remind you, even in the areas you're established in. So if this is a reminder, kind of just sit back and think, okay, this is a reminder. I already know this, but maybe there's something for me today. Uh, and if it's new, great. Um, in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5, uh, this ties into last week and brings us into this week. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Uh, so this speaks maybe to the cages we've been called out of, as Pastor Mark identified. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So as we leave our cages, so to speak, we come to him. And that's one aspect of our calling. We are called to him. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That touches on the fact that the other aspect of our calling is to his people. And so we have those two aspects of calling. Now, um, with, if, it, if it's true that that's what our calling is, then what we can do is we can express that calling through any number of vocations. Um, and your vocation could change. I, if I lost my medical license or something happened that I, I lost my practice, my calling is not taken. My calling is secure. I'm called to him and I'm called to his people. Now that doesn't mean I'm called to a church vocation, but it means in the midst of the calling, I'm called to his people. One of the things I've seen this practically in my own life is that as I go out and practice where we're supposed to not have any to serve the underserved and the LGBT and, you know, the, that population, the transgenders, they're all um, underserved populations. So as a clinic, we, are, we seek to uh, serve them and make sure they, they're not denied adequate medical care based on uh, who they are. And, uh, and so that involves a connection. And so as I'm connecting, uh, I have I felt more and more the need to make sure I'm connecting here too. Because here... It kind of keeps me anchored. I can go out and connect, which is what I want to do, but I don't lose my footing if I'm connected to God's people and I'm connected to hearing his word on a regular basis. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, employed kind of an interesting storyline. We're going to look primarily now at the calling to him. And this, he took the word catastrophe, which is the uh, sudden appearance of an unexpected evil. And he added, he added a prefix, EU, which changed the expression or changed the meaning to the sudden uh, happy turn in the story, which pierces you with joy and brings you to tears. Uh, he described it as the sudden glimpse of truth, where we feel a sudden relief as if a major limb had been out of joint and suddenly snapped back. I was in the ER one time before I moved here, and... Uh, I, I met kind of a, a horseman or a cowboy who had uh, came in and his arm was dangling at his side. And um, so he gave me the story. And what had happened is he'd gotten into the trailer. He knew this was stupid. He got in the trailer with this horse because he knew this horse really well. The horse spooked. So you have about 1,200-pound animal, 1,000-pound animal pushing him against the side of the trailer, and it dislocated his shoulder. So when he came in, his arm was just hanging uselessly at his side. He was in a lot of distress. But once we reduced his shoulder, 
it was day-night difference. The pain went away. He could move. He was more animated. And that's what Tolkien is talking about here, that when truth, a sudden glimpse of truth occurs, it's like you had a dislocated joint that was put back in place. Um, Israel uh, experienced this. If you can imagine Israel um, as slaves, they probably would have had a hard time imagining a different future other than slavery. Now, they, in the back of their minds, they were probably taught that someday there'd be a deliverance and a deliverer. But from day to day, I bet it was hard to kind of rise up to that in a, in a faith um, practice. Um, so what happened is Moses, all of a sudden, from their perspective, all of a sudden appeared. He began to do signs and wonders, which essentially beat up the gods of Egypt and uh, trumped Pharaoh. This was a huge catastrophe. It was the sudden appearance of good, which brought joy and relief. Now, this pointed to the ultimate huge catastrophe, and that was the coming of Yeshua. You see that in John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he went on in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's like when Yeshua came, a switch was flipped, light penetrated darkness. And, and for the first time, or maybe the first time as clearly, men could look at men differently, men could look at the universe differently. In Galatians 4.4, 4, it said, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might uh, receive adoption as sons. So here we have Yeshua as the light, they gave a sudden glimpse of truth. All of creation could now be viewed this way, uh, and the redeemed were able to imagine a different future. Now, uh, we're reminded of this because if you go back to the prophetic word, if we are reminded of our redemption, our redemption will be on our tongues, and we will be more alert uh, to the opportunity of sharing the redemptive story with those around us. Who are, who are in darkness. They haven't had that flipped switch that we have. Um, um, before this time in humanity, basically, God was a means to an end. Uh, he could, we could use God to get information. <clears throat> we could use God to get blessing and, and avoid uh, calamity. We could use God to uh, control our fears and give us some sense of control. I think this is especially important, particularly if you, in light of your, your comments, Pastor Mark, where in our country now, which is where we live, is what we're, we experience, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of shifting. And um, so if you or I were looking for some means of security, politically or culturally, we would be pretty shaken right now uh, with what's going on. But his plan of redemption, Yahweh's plan of redemption, wasn't to send a set of instructions. Can you imagine Israel's slaves, and all of a sudden there's a set of instructions that kind of float through the air and land? Well, you know, the, the set of instructions would not have redeemed them. They needed a deliverer. Uh, he didn't send a genie uh, to Israel who would give them everything they wanted. 
In fact, the path of freedom was not an easy path. It was a path of testing. Um, so um, he didn't set instructions. He didn't send a genie. Uh, he didn't um, give them everything they wanted. But he did um, provide a deliverer, and that deliverer required faith. Um, God, during this uh, time, the, Israel began to look um, at God as the God who came down. The God who came down to Sinai. The God who came down through Moses. The God who, and then later, the God who came down through Yeshua. God came down to enter the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our life experiences. And this uh, is uh, keeping this uh, in, at the forefront of our mind, because I know many or most of y'all know this, uh, is going to make us alert in the times we live in. Um, in, the, in the 1980s, uh, this doesn't seem that long ago to me, does it to you, Pastor Mark? <laughs> I mean, Dan Rather, uh, Rather interviewed Mother Teresa. And uh, so he asked her, when you pray, what do you say to God? Mother Teresa said, I don't say anything. I listen. Uh, he then said, okay, when God speaks to you, what does he say? He doesn't say anything either. He listens. And at this point, uh, the interviewer just bombed out. He didn't, he didn't know where to go with this. Um, and Mother Teresa volunteered. Um, and if you don't, and you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. Um, have you ever had a situation where you're with a someone that you know so well that you're comfortable being in the room with them without talking? You don't feel like you've got to entertain them. They don't have to entertain you. You can sit there and be with them, and you're comfortable. And I think that's what Mother Teresa was, was describing, and that's what we're called to. We're called to that kind of experience with God. I remember uh, after um, my wife passed away, there was a period of, uh, well, uh, grieving, more intense early, but um, there were times where tears came or the, the sadness came, and I, I could have verbalized questions, but I already knew the questions, the answers in my head. And so I generally just didn't say anything. If the, if the tears came, I let the tears come. And what I experienced was it's okay, the grieving process, because Yeshua was there grieving with me. I didn't have to say anything to him. He didn't have to say anything to me. I had a sense of his presence. And that was part of my redemption. Part of my calling was to be with him. He came into my own brokenness to be with me and to share my journey with me. That's part of our calling. Um, some years ago, in 1956, Martin Luther King was 26 years of age. He was a young Baptist minister um, in the South. And uh, he, he came to this church, and uh, he landed right in the middle of a lot of civil unrest. And he was scared. And he had, he wanted, basically, he wanted nothing to do uh, with the controversy. He wanted to be left alone, pastor of the church. He'd take care of his flock. And he wasn't going to get involved in the civil uh, unrest. Uh, but he got a phone call. It was a very demeaning call. You know, the N-word was used. They threatened to kill him. His family bombed his house. And there were several days there where he did not sleep. Uh, he, it was beyond him, him controlling. But then, uh, oh, he was drinking a cup of coffee. He was sipping tea, something. And he, he seemed to hear this. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. The voice promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never. 
No, never alone. This is Martin Luther King's word, uh, description. He promised to never leave me, never leave me alone. And he knew the voice was Yeshua. And at the moment that happened, his fears left. Because when we're drawing near to the presence of God, uh, we don't manage our fears. They will leave from, with his presence. And that's what Martin Luther, Luther King experienced. And several nights later, his house was bombed. Uh, and as he was standing in front of the ruins of this home, and there was an angry mob. There was, uh, you know, both uh, the blacks and whites, and they were, they were angry at each other. And Martin Luther King said, it's important that we love those who are responsible for this. And the whole atmosphere changed. Uh, and the course of the civil rights movement changed at that time, too. And that was connected to this promise, presence, the calling that Martin Luther King had not so much to his church, but to Yeshua, his Lord. And through that, uh, that calling and through that presence, his fears left, and then the rest is history. Um, so life with God uh, drives out fear. Um, you know, man, as man understands that he can't control uncertainty, lot, this goes back to the comments I believe Master Mark, uh, Pastor Mark was talking about, just look at what uh, Pastor Mark was describing is uncertainties we live with right now. But think about this. In 2001, the World Trade Center. 2004, the tsunami in the Indian Ocean. 2005, Hurricane Katrina. 2011, the tsunami in Japan. 2020, a, a global pandemic. Uh, there's so much out there that if, uh, if the hope of a person is in uh, political, um, religious institutions, uh, community other than the, uh, the community of uh, faith, then it's really a time of shaking. Like you said, it's, uh, there's a lot of sifting going on. And, um, but for us as the, the people of God, we can have hope and a sense of purpose and destiny. And that's one of the things the world doesn't have, is as you draw near to Yeshua, you um, can get a sense that there's an overriding narrative. There's an overriding purpose that's taking us to the fulfillment of something big. And uh, you can find hope in that. Um, this is the value and significance we have. And again, this, this goes back to the comment um, uh, by uh, Pastor Mark on uh, the shaking. If we are experiencing this kind of hope, then your calmness uh, is going to be noticed by those around you because many don't have this. They're, they're looking for it elsewhere. This actually takes us back to the idea of holiness as well. Um, it was traditionally understood that holiness was to describe God's uh, active presence. Um, his attributes, man could see the attributes of God through his actions, and that's how they saw God work. In Israel, in Egypt, they saw his actions. They learned about him in that way. Um, and in biblical literature, there's kind of a curious interaction between humans and the divine, between you and I and um, Yeshua or uh, Yahweh. As an example, Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We're admonished to keep the Sabbath holy. Later on in that same chapter, it says, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Sabbath was made holy by Yahweh, not by us, but we're commanded to keep it holy. Um, and um, so we, Paul, Paul saw this later, many years later, when he said we co-labor with him. And um, so there is a 
declaration by God. And if his people are obedient, there's a demonstration of that declaration to the world. And the world sees his attributes. Um, and um, in this way, God becomes visible to the world. He becomes visible to the world through his people. Um, and um, the other point here I think this experience, and this leads us to the second part of our calling, is uh, that, um, again, holiness was never meant to be a separate uh, social uh, d distinction versus a religious distinction. It was, it was, that, that distinction was not there. But there is a sense in which Israel knew that to achieve holiness, they couldn't do it alone. The achievement of holiness had to be in the community. So um, remember when the Torah was given, it was given to a community. We have personal responsibility, no doubt about it. But it does point out that um, what we see and what we're admonished to do and be is meant to be done in the context of community. We're not designed to do it alone. Uh, we're designed to do it with others who are so ca similarly called. Um, we um, see this uh, in Ephesians 4. I'm going to refer back now to some of the chapters uh, that I first quoted talking about the presence of God and the calling of God. And uh, in those same chapters, it identifies the community of God as part of that calling. In Ephesians 4, it talks about giving God, or Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip his people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Um, then later in that chapter, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves uh, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head. And then it goes on. But what it's describing here is our maturity or formation, some people call it, is something we do among the people of God. Actually, uh, knowledge is a relational term. Knowledge is meant to be attained in community uh, and with community. Uh, we learn in relationship to others. Some of the cages uh, that we found ourselves in listening to Pastor Mark last week were open and closed through our relationships with others back in those days, some, you know, back in our background somewhere. And those cages are opened, and we walk out, number one, by redemption and by the, uh, the, the transformative, uh, transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but it's in relationship to others. What we learned that was wrong in relationship, we unlearn, and we learn what's right in relationship. Generally, we don't get matured and transformed in a vacuum. Uh, it's in relationship to other people. And, um, and Paul went on to describe this in that chapter. And, um, and in, the, in that, he, he basically describes maturity as something that we pursue. Now, if we pursue it on our own or we get tired and fatigued, vices, the old self kind of takes over. It's almost like vices were natural, but we learn virtue. And we learn virtue through community relationships, through drawing near to the source of that virtue. Uh, and sometimes it's work. Um, community keeps us on track in our pursuit of virtues and helps us resist 
the temptation to go back to what is familiar and crawl back into our cages. So uh, the earlier quote, First Peter also, he, Peter said this, for this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you may follow in his steps. Um, uh, Christ suffered in relationship to others. Uh, and Peter said, for this you have been called. Uh, we have been called to be in relationship to others, and in those relationships we will ex experience suffering. Um, and later, just in the next few verses, uh, in the first chapter, go back a chapter, and Peter said this. He kind of he got he gave an outcome, and then he went back to the origin. He said, "Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed." but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Um, if you want, if you find yourself lacking in an assurance of your salvation, get involved with the body of Christ. Allow yourself to react or respond or relate in a way that you normally wouldn't do it. You see yourself doing something that you, uh, that you know is not natural, that you know years ago that would not have happened. That takes you back to your redemption. That takes you back to a deeper assurance of your calling. Um, the redemptive work is meant to be apparent by how we treat others, and we can only demonstrate that in relationship. If you look at Second Peter uh, 1, uh, again, I'm going to go back to there's um, an acknowledgment of his calling, and then there's an admonition to be diligent to make sure we understand that calling. But then this is what's between those two verses. Uh, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Remember, knowledge is a relational term. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. Often self-control also. This is an uh, editorial comment, but uh, self-control is exercised in relationship to others. Uh, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Again, there's talking about relationships with others. And then Peter goes on to say, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, fruitfulness and effectiveness are fruits of relationships with others. Um, so this is, this is basically what you do to confirm our calling. Um, sometimes um, what we do, if, if you spent very many years before redemption, then you, you probably have to unlearn some habits and learn new habits. What, um, and um, it's, it, it, as I mentioned, it happens in relationship. As an example, when I was young, um, uh, I, um, to escape bullying and some other dysfunctional stuff in my family, um, I went outside the family. I, I was, when I left for school, I, um, I left in the morning, uh, finished, did athletics, came at night, and that was my daily routine. I was gone almost all the time. Sometimes I was gone in the evenings. And um, one time I went across the street. It was um, one, across the This was a little town. This little road we lived on, there was woods on one end. It wasn't a thoroughfare. So I went to this house almost directly across the street. I said, uh, hello, my name is Randy Craig. I live over there. And they said, you live with the Craigs? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, how long have you lived over there? I said, well, I moved here with them. They're my family. And uh, so, I, I, but what, it, what, I, what I saw in that was I adapted 
and I came up with a strategy for survival that took me out of the situation, and it worked. But sometimes what works to get us from point A to point B is not what works to get us from point B to, uh, or B to C. And so I had to unlearn some of that independence to walk with God, to get married, to raise kids, uh, and um, still uh, growing in that. But I had to unlearn to learn. Uh, fencing was the same way. When I, sometime after Nancy passed away, I thought, okay, I'm going to, what's a good strategy for getting through? This was in the first year. And I said, I'm, you know, I, I fenced for three years and lettered and, and all that kind of stuff. And then I dropped out to do club sports like rugby and stuff like that. And, and so I thought, I'm going to go finish my fencing experience. So I went back thinking I would be pretty good. And the, uh, this is, you know, what goes on inside of an old man's head, you know. And uh, so he, um, so I went to the coach, and the coach did a few bouts with me. And he said, I think you need to start in the beginner's class. And I'm thinking, I don't really need to start in the beginner's class, but I'm going to humor him. So I started in the beginner's class. Well, what I realized was fencing, when I learned it, was purely just mechanical. There was no, it wasn't electrical. But now it's electrical. Uh, everything's plugged in. You're plugged in. Uh, your 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 lames are electric, uh, and the techniques that I used to think about, I had to unthink. I had to unlearn to move forward uh, and learn uh, this sport. It was like learning a new sport. So you may find that you're unlearning some bad habits in order to learn the good ones. We have the word. We have redemption. We have the promise of the Spirit, which is coming. That's how we do this. Um, it's interesting that the Ten Commandments in a way, connect these two aspects of calling. You're calling to Yeshua, and you're calling to Yeshua's people. The first verses are hinged to the last verses, interestingly enough, by the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the hinge that connects the two. Perhaps we could say the Sabbath is the hinge that connects this calling to Yeshua with the calling to his people. Um, and um, so as we continue in the accounting of the Omer uh, and moving towards Shavuot, uh, keep in mind that we are responding to a calling, uh, individually and corporately, a calling to draw near to him, to be with him, and a calling to be with his people. Um, in Galatians 4.19, Paul said, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Remember, as, as Messiah is formed in you, um, it may not be easy. Israel modeled, you know, the difficulties uh, they faced. The calling is not so much that it's easy, but it's simple. We tend to complicate it, uh, but it's, it's not easy. It's, in fact, even in the world, there's a recognition, recognition that when you go from one orbit, whether it's whatever the domain, physical, emotional, spiritual, there's a resistance to go to another, and you have to have a vision for maturity and adversity to move up, to mature into whatever area God's putting his finger on. 1 Corinthians 3.9, I alluded to this a few minutes ago. Uh, you are God's field, God's building. We are God's fellow workers. We are co-laboring with God to accomplish and fulfill this calling. Um, so again, as a community, we are working out our salvation together. We are drawing near to him. These are critical days uh, that we are, um, that we're all living through, and the calling we have uh, will provide stability 
and strength to weather the storms, the storms that we may have now and the storms that we may be facing um, in the very near future. So, Pastor Martin. Thank you for that word. So many good things, you know, just packed in there, this idea that we're coming out of Egypt to come into the promised land, which really represents our experience, uh, the realm in which we live, that life with God that transforms everything, how we view things, how we understand things. It's just amazing how that works. And we're coming out, right? It's a process. Growing up in God is a process. And the beauty of this is this. That we belong to God at point A, at point B, at point C, all the way down. But we're called to come out. We can't be passive. Wake up, right? That's what the prophets say over and over and over. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Arise in Christ. Let his light shine on you. Why? Because God wants to save the lost all around us. He wants his light in us to be that drawing element so that other people can find salvation and can come out of their Egypts of sin and shame. They can come out of their cages of misery, right? So as we come out, we're constantly looking back and taking the hands of those that are behind us to help them come out of their cages. That's what we do. That's what this life is all about. And so I want to do a workshop uh, today as we finish up. We have a few minutes. We'll do a workshop. I want to help all of us really you know, kind of position ourselves for a divine appointments. What is a divine appointment? A divine appointment is something that God sets up. God is in the saving business. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's in the saving business. He loves people. He's drawing people to, to himself through his son. And so, you know, to ask God for a divine appointment is to say, God, put people in my path. Help me to see what you're doing. Give me that occasion in which I can connect and help somebody else encounter your presence. Understand, it's always a two-way street. So as you help them encounter the Lord, you also encounter the Lord in that divine appointment. It's a two-way street. It's very, very exciting. And so um, let me give you an example. I had, when I was out in Idaho, I talked to uh, the person who led me to Christ some 45 years ago. And uh, he was telling me, he says, you know, Mark, I was coming up to the hospital the other day to visit a friend, and when I get, was sitting in my car ready to get out, I just said, Father, uh, give me a divine appointment. I, I, just want, I just want to, you know, share with someone that, that, that Jesus loves them, that Jesus cares about them, that Jesus is with them, and so uh, just lead me as I do this. Just, just put in my heart, you know, a sense of what I'm supposed to do. He says, I got out of the car. There were several people that had just walked out of the hospital, front, the front doors of the hospital. He says, right away, I, I cued into one of the women, and I just sensed God, God wanted me to go to this woman and tell her. And he says, so I walked up to this woman. I said, excuse me, you don't know who I am, but uh, you know, the, uh, God, is, God has sent me to you to tell you that Jesus loves you and that he cares about you. He wants you to know that he's with you right now. Now, now that, that was his divine appointment. That's, he stepped out in faith and did that. And, and the next thing, too, is you always want to ask, you know, when you connect with people, if that, if that means anything. That's how you know whether or not that was a divine appointment or you missed it, right? 
which is okay. You can miss it too. That's part of the learning curve. Uh, she looked at him. Her eyes filled with tears, and she burst out crying, just started weeping. And he says, what's going on? She said, uh, my son, my only son, just committed suicide three days ago. And I've been wondering ever since, does God even care about me? Does God even love me? I just feel like he's so far away. He said, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah. And he prayed, he ministered to her. That's a divine appointment. Here's a woman at a, a place of great desperation, feeling like God is far away in the midst of the greatest crisis that probably any of us could ever, ever imagine. Wondering, God, where are you? And here's a perfect stranger walking up to her in the midst of that desperation, saying, God wants you to know that Jesus loves you, that he cares about you, that he's with you. That's a divine appointment. Helping people connect with the living God. He's alive. He's alive. This is how we come out of our cages. That's what Dr. Randy's talking about, moving from Egypt to the promised land and taking a host of people with you. You're a priest. I'm a priest. A priest is a mediator that helps people connect with God and God connect with people. That's who we are. So I want you to, 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 you know, step out and begin to do this kind of divine appointment thing. Recognize who you are. You're a priest. Ask the Father for some divine appointments to open your eyes throughout the day and, and to recognize, you know, kind of like uh, setups that he's doing all around you. And then follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Reach out. Ask people questions. Listen to them. What are they saying? And as you listen to what they're saying, say, Father, what are you saying to them? And then give to them what the Father's saying. And know, know that that's going to move people from A to B to C. It's going to move people from Egypt to the promised land. That's our journey. It's a journey we're all on. So I want to open this up. We have a few minutes. Anyone here today, I just want to open this up. You know, if you're really struggling and you're really hurting, and you're just feeling like, you know what, I need, I need a word from the Lord. If that's you, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Anyone here? Anyone here saying, I need a word from God. Father, I pray the chicken spirit off of everyone. In Jesus' name, right now. Hallelujah. But if you need a word... Raise your hand. We're going to do just kind of this workshop here, and God is alive and wants to speak to you. So who wants to uh, raise their hand? Okay, Rocio, come on up. Yeah, give her a round of applause. It takes... Come on up. Hallelujah. Just turn around. You just stand here. Praise God. We're just going to wait on the Lord, and uh, I want you to look at her. I want you to be praying. And uh, if you're getting something from the Lord, 
You know, it may be one word, it may be a phrase, whatever that is, and it's usually the first thing that comes into your spirit. Don't second guess it. If you're getting something in your spirit for her, that you sense is from God, I want to run the mic to you, and you give that to her. Um, but let's pray first, and then I'll need a runner. Who wants to be my runner? Thank you, Matthew. Come on up. So, Father, we love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. And we just say, come and minister to Rocio. Minister to her, Lord God. Speak to her. Let her know that you're alive and that you care about her, that you are with her and that you're with us. So come and give us a word for your daughter. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So if you're getting a word, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Anyone? Hallelujah. And stand up and make sure you hold the mic close to your mouth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hello. Um, look at him. Go ahead and look at him. Yeah. Maybe perseverance. Perseverance. Okay. So we'll run with that. Perseverance. Perseverance. What does per perseverance mean? Anyone? Perseverance. Don't give up, right? When you're under the gun and you're under a lot of pressure and you just feel like, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. Uh, you know, it's too much. It's too much. God says, don't give up. Persevere. Persevere. Give me the mic. Hallelujah. All right. So that is the first word that we got. Next thing we're going to do is ask for feedback. Always want to ask for feedback, right? So, Rocio, does that word persevere mean anything to you? Yes, it does. Hold it close. I'm not hurting today, but I did need a word from God because I have been persevering and persevering. And for how long? There have been times, four years. Okay. And there have been times when I'm just like, okay, I'll just give up. I, I have surrendered to God and I have given it all to him. And um, I felt many times that I've asked God, okay, this is what you want me to do and then I'll just give up. I'll give up. So, um, yes, that word does help. Yeah. Persevere. There's a lot of do, times. Do, 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 times do you feel like, you know what, I just can't do this anymore. It's, yes. it's overwhelming. Yes. It's overwhelming. I have done everything biblically speaking that I could, that I find in God's word that tells me do this, do that. Um, I have prayed to God to show me um, where I can, where I need to grow with Him. What, what do I need to do? What change me first? Change. Yeah speak to me yeah where where am i lacking of where am i not seeking you um there have been times when i'm just like maybe i may i don't know i just i i don't know how to express it but i i have this i'm like do you are you really there and he has shown me many, many times in so many areas of my life, except for that area, 
that he is there and that I know this are the God that I serve and I know that he's always there and he has done so many miracles. I mean, I would be here all day telling you about how many miracles I have received in my life, even desires of my heart that I'll, I'll go, little things like I'll, someone will bring to me or someone will give to me and I was like, how do you know I like that? I do not, but just that area of my life, yes. Pastor Mark knows which area. It's like, why? Why? Why do I not receive that miracle? <laughs> I have received so many miracles from my son. His kidneys. I could see it so, sit here so all day. So in the midst of in the midst of these miracles, right? There's this area of your life that you're just feeling like, you know what, Lord, what about this area? And I have struggled and I have fought and I have believed. And it just feels like, you know what? No help. No help. No breakthroughs. And what am I going to do? Because at times, that area almost overwhelms all the miracles. Right? Okay. Let's run this back to Michelle. Uh, I got this at the beginning before your feedback, but I felt like God was saying he's seen your giving heart and your giving spirit and all the little ways you've sacrificed and you've just quietly given of yourself. Those have not gone, uh, gone unnoticed, and he's going to bless you for it. He's noticed every single, every single time, even when nobody else notices, he's noticed all the little quiet ways all the little ways you just give of yourself until you feel like there's nothing left. And the reason you have something left is because he's giving it to you. He's pouring into you. So that goes with what Eric said. Perseverance, don't give up. He sees you, and it hasn't gone unnoticed. Amen. Amen. Come up here first. Yeah. Don't, don't be distracted, Matthew. <laughs> I am in control. Not really, Jesus is, okay. Okay, does, so does that minister to you? Definitely, yes. Everyone that knows Rocio knows she's a giver. She gives like no one gives. She just pours herself out like no one pours. And yet, like all of us, you know, we have some, some areas where we're just saying, God, where are you in this, you know? And, uh, and I feel a bit lost in this. And God's saying, persevere persevere. The word for you is persevere. Don't give up. God sees it all, Rocio. He sees it all. Don't give up. The word of the Lord to you is help is on the way. Help in the area that you've been crying out is on the way. Don't give up. Don't give up. Final word. Rocio, I feel like the word of the Lord is saying to you today, do not be weary in well-doing. 
But receive my strength, my joy, my peace, my hope, even my laughter. Even my laughter. Receive it today. And the Lord just wants to pour it into you. Fresh, fresh strength, fresh joy, fresh peace, fresh hope. And he wants to pour it into you because you empty yourself out and don't be weary in well-doing today, but be strengthened in him in might and in joy and all that the Lord has for you. Let him pour back into you. Let him pour back into you and refresh you and renew you. Fresh, fresh everything. Just fresh everything. Even Amen. laughter today. Amen. 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 All right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's... So after your divine appointment, get some feedback, and then ask the person, would it be okay if I pray for you? Would it be okay if I pray for you, Rocio? Okay, thank you. She's so easy. <laughs> Hallelujah. So let's just uh, extend our hands towards her. Father, we just thank you for Rocio. We declare your word. She is your daughter. She's a godly woman. She's beloved, not forsaken, beloved. We bless her in the name of Yeshua. We speak to her your prophetic word. Persevere, O woman of God. Persevere. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. I see all of your toils, all of your goodness. None of that has gone unrecorded. Persevere. The reward is coming. In Jesus' name, stir her up, bless her, keep her far from the schemes of the evil one, and may her days be filled with joy. Give her favor with everyone around her in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen. 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 So, practice, practice, practice. All week long, reach out to people around you. Let the Lord use you. As you minister, the Lord will minister to you. There's a net increase for everyone involved in that. So, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>